Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yo! Welcome into the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate it. I promise we are going to have some fun on today's podcast. Actually, the the next three podcasts are all going to be like entertainment filled. I was a, a tad sportsy, and there is a another sports topic that I want to do, but. For this particular episode of the podcast and the subsequent ones, there are a couple of television things that I want to talk about because I've enjoyed watching these things and it's sparked some stuff in my brain. So I wanted to have some space to talk about it. And usually what happens is if if I don't have time, like I could theoretically put it into uh, our high noon segment on the radio show, but that that isn't always sufficient because I need a little bit more time, as you know, because you listen to this podcast. I'm a tad bit verbose, so allow me to be verbose, but not before I tell you that our podcast and all the podcasts on the House of L Network are brought to you by the fine folks over at Aurelio's Pizza. It's my favorite. I hope that it's your favorite, too. It's phenomenal pizza. It's the sauce. Shout out to Joe Aurelio for our relationship with this podcast and his pizza. When I was a kid and I I made it to Homewood, I mean, I guess I didn't make it there. It wasn't like, like, man, I was really trying to get to Homewood. But when the parents moved us to Homewood and I finally got it, like, Started to feel more comfortable in my surroundings. We go to Aurelio's on Tuesday nights. Me and the crew, man, back in the day. We go there on, uh, let's see, Reggie Miller, Javon Poole, Chris Knight. A bunch of us would go to Aurelio's because they used to have $5 all-you-could-eat pizza. And we used to eat them out of house and home. It was great. Phenomenal, like one of the best memories I have of my experience of going to HF is all the nights that were at Aurelio's or getting Aurelio's and picking it up. Some of my first driving moments are me driving to Aurelio's to pick up the the Holmes family order. So Aurelio'sPizza.com, it holds a special place in my heart and stomach. And I hope that it, it holds a special place in yours. If you do make it to the Homewood location, that's not the only location. But if you do make it to the Homewood location, ask for it out of the old oven. Trust me. All right? Cool. I finished Star Trek 
Strange New Worlds season one a couple weeks ago. And I was late on that train. I just I just forgot that it dropped. And then I played catch up and I loved it. Like I thought that I think that what they've really done with Star Trek overall since bringing back the the platform of um parent using it on the platform Paramount Plus has it's been dope. I've enjoyed the Picard seasons and I have some issues with it. I'm someone who loves Discovery. And I'll get to why I love Discovery in contrast to Strange New Worlds, which I also love. But one of the things I think is cool about Strange New Worlds is as Star Trek continues to rewrite some of the pre-Kirk Enterprise history, which they did with the show Enterprise and, and what they did kind of with Discovery, spoiler alert, um, they move away from that in Discovery, but it plays a, a significant role in what happens on, on Strange New Worlds. This isn't going to be a total like review of Strange New Worlds, but there is something about Star Trek overall that I've noticed since the original series. I am someone who loves TNG. I really love Deep Space Nine. I think that that's a series that more people need to revisit because it was so well done, and and I think that it was a it was perfect for what Roddenberry's version of the future would start out like. There's a lot of talk in Star Trek circles that once the next generation got to the Borg and it took a little bit of a darker turn that that was, I think Roddenberry had died right before that season. I think it's season three had started not the initial encounter with the Borg, but once we get to best of both worlds, part one and two, the Roddenberry had died and people said that the, franchise got a little bit darker i actually think that it helped tng that they, that it got a little bit darker and we got to see how great of an actor that sir patrick stewart is i think that that to me is where you're like oh this dude is legit when we see chain of command three years later and the acting that's done in those two episodes Man, it's quality stuff from Sir Patrick Stewart. But here's the thread that I think outside of Kirk's Enterprise, and I guess there's a little bit of it, but Kirk's Enterprise didn't didn't deal with, because they were out there on their five-year mission, there was talk of, like, the prime directive. But in the subsequent iterations of star trek you have interactions with starfleet command and here's what what i've noticed whether we're talking about tng which delved into the possibility of starfleet command being corrupted and delved into and honestly here's a pitch 
Sidebar. Here's a pitch. You know the, the Star Trek story that hasn't been told that I would love to see be told? It might be boring to some, but it's not boring to me. That story is, how did Starfleet rebuild the fleet after Wolf 359? So after the encounter with the Borg, where basically the only galaxy-class starship left is the Enterprise, how, how did they go about rebuilding the, the fleet? How did they go about rebuilding the lives of the people who survived the attack? Now, we see some of that in, in Deep Space Nine with Commander Sisko at the time, then subsequently Captain Sisko. But that, to me, is fascinating. How long did it take Utopia Planitia to, to, to rebuild everything? How long does it take to build a starship in the 23rd century? Stuff like that. There's, there are two things that I think they could do from a series standpoint. That, and you could start with the battle at Wolf 359 and then go on from there. And you could time jump if you want it. That, to me, is super crazy. The other one is there should be a Starfleet Academy show. Like, if Star Trek wanted to branch out into a C, an old school like CW type thing, they should do Starfleet Academy. Any hoozle. What I realize and learn from watching all of the different Star Treks is that when it comes to the relationship between the captains, the commanders that are out in the field, and Starfleet, there is a natural push and pull. There is a testing of boundaries. I also think that Starfleet itself, while it paints itself, and I don't know if the creators of Star Trek in all forms view it this way, but Starfleet is continuously shown to be imperfect and in some cases unnecessary even though they sit there and act as if man this is the most important thing ever this is we we have we have run through all of the metrics and these are the rules that we've come by i get that the idea is is that no no society is perfect but Star Trek often builds itself as the perfect human society has been reached. Oh, I got one. This is three pitches that I'm doing inside of a podcast. The other pitch, and I'm pretty sure this has been done maybe in the comics and in the novels, and there are allusions to it, obviously, with Khan. They should just do a, a short series on the eugenics war. Like that, I don't know if Paramount's got that kind of money, but just do it. Because they reference it so much. It is so baked into Star Trek culture. Just do a series on the eugenics war and kind of set everything up. Because now you've got descendants of characters. 
from the eugenics war. You got someone thrown in jail because of it. Spoiler alert. Well, I haven't spoiled it yet because I haven't told you who that is. But any anyway, that's another thing that I think that they could do. They should just let me sit in a room and come up with ideas. Because I, I love Star Trek. Like, I'm a big sci-fi fan overall. But the investment of time and emotion and storytelling that is involved in my relationship with Star Trek goes beyond, like, anything else. Like, even the Marvel movies. Like, I, when Star Trek The Next Generation came out, I was like, this, this is blowing my mind. And I was able to watch that with my mom and dad. Ben Bradley is also a big Trekkie. I used to literally go over his house and watch Deep Space Nine. When it debuted, I was watching it at Ben's house. We were like, holy shit, this is going to be cool. But I am very much invested in that whole thing. So I would... I wonder if the creators set Starfleet up as a foil. You know the other thing that I wonder? Because they talk about Earth and all of the colonies of Earth and the Federation being in a fairly utopian place, What do people who are not a part of Starfleet do for a living? Perhaps that's an episode of of one of the, the different shows. But I'd love to know. We get a glimpse of Captain Pike on vacation, and I dug that. By the way, Anson Mount, has phenomenal hair. And whoever is styling his hair is doing a wonderful job with it. My man's got a high high top fade. Like, white dude's not supposed to have high top fades the way that Anson Mount does. And he, he got one. Got a little Gumby action. It looks great. But what, what do people who aren't in the Federation do? Like, when Picard goes home, his brother is over there making wine, He's got the friend that's doing, like, terraforming. And if you live in a society that isn't capitalistic, how do people who are competitive go about doing their business? I haven't seen that explored in Star Trek, and I wonder about it a lot. Whenever Starfleet is referenced, whenever Earth is referenced, how does one go about finding their path and their fortune without the carrot of capitalism. And is is that a place that can even exist? Because I think that a lot of different political ethos are really good until you add the human element for greed into them. Like, there, there are elements of socialism that you could throw in and be like, yeah, that would make sense. Except for the part where everything's equal financially and resource-wise, then that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But I think about that and, and 
the society that Starfleet claims that it has, when out in the universe, these starships and these captains are faced with making decisions that clearly Starfleet hasn't thought through. And usually, the, the heroes and heroines of our series end up having to make tough decisions. One of the reasons that I love Deep Space Nine is because Captain Sisko is probably the most conflicted captain. He is faced with stuff that goes against the prime directive, in some cases goes against his moral code. Like Once we get to season six of Deep Space Nine, the decisions that have to be made by Benjamin Sisko, there, there are plenty of reasons why if Starfleet knew what Ben Sisko was out here doing, he would have been court-martialed. But I always wonder, like, what's that society look like? It's supposed to be like our wildest dreams, right? Gene Roddenberry's wildest dream. What does it look like, and what are the conflicts that happen because you're living in a perfect society? Think about that for a second. I want to take a small break, and when we come back, I want to talk about Nichelle Nichols. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., So I was thinking about doing a Nichelle Nichols episode because her life was so dope. But I, I felt like the, the fitting tribute is obviously like to connect it with a, a, a Star Trek episode. Nichelle Nichols, the more you read about what her life was, the more you realize how lucky those of us who are Star Trek fans are that she decided that she was going to stick around. If you don't know the story, according to Nichols, and in one case has been um, confirmed by Gene Roddenberry before he passed, after the first season of Star Trek, Nichols was going to leave. She had already written a resignation letter, and giving it to Roddenberry. Now, there's some stuff here, because supposedly those two were involved in a relationship that was romantic, 
I don't think at the time of the resignation that was the case, but they at least had that background with each other. And he said, you cannot quit because you're a big part of what I'm trying to do. Gene Roddenberry's vision for the future was a vision that, I mean, he put it on the screen for people. Um, there are some people who still don't quite get it. So, like, when you see people buck back after, about, like, really stupid people bucking back about Michael Burnham. And how, how dare they put a black woman in charge of a starship? You know, that type of dumb stuff. He wanted to present a future where things were better. And some of the things that we worried about, some of the things, that, the, the differences and the prejudices that, that tear us apart as a society have been resolved. Now, the resolution of those things are things that, which goes back to what I was saying in the last segment. The resolution of those problems is never fully detailed. It's just kind of like, oh, we, we figured some things out, and now society's perfect. Digging into that perfection is, is kind of what I was getting to in the first segment. But he, he explained to Nichols that this is what he was trying to do, and she was a big part of it. And she was in, kind of an inspiration for him. Here's this woman who is in charge of being the voice. Here's this black woman who is in charge with an African name that is in charge of being the first contact that we have with alien species. That's powerful and important. So Nichols goes to an NAACP event where she, according to her, meets Martin Luther King, who was a big fan of the show. And Martin Luther King told her that he watched the show with his family, and it was one of the only shows that he felt comfortable watching with his family. When Nichols tells him that she's already resigned, he tells her, you can't do that. We need you out there. We need what you represent out there. Now, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone. When the the leader of the civil rights movement is saying how important you are, that's a lot of pressure. She didn't, she saw it more as an opportunity, like the light clicked back on for her. And she really went after it and decided that being a Neota Uhura was a big deal. And she went back to the show. The story goes that she went back after the weekend was over, talked to Gene Roddenberry, and he's like, I, I, I had torn up your resignation because I, I was hoping that you were coming back. Her, that role for her, and then you, you look at where she's from. Nichelle Nichols is from Robbins. And often people will confuse Robbins with Harvey. It is important that when we talk about her or Kiki Palmer, we, we are talking specifically about Robbins. 
or Bessie Coleman because Robbins was the second let me let me get the wording right on this the second oldest black incorporated town after Brooklyn and it had the first black owned airport shout out to Bessie Coleman That means something. And her dad was mayor. So there's a big history there of kind of leading from the front that is ingrained in people that are from Robbins. Black people from Robbins like take a, a particular pride in that. But then you start reading and, and watching the videos that it's enough for her, like, so she goes back to Star Trek and she's an inspiration for people. Seeing her on the screen is an inspiration for people. Whoopi Goldberg has talked about Nichelle Nichols being an inspiration for her. Not just her Star Trek career, but her career career. And then, of course, Whoopi Goldberg goes on to play Guinan on The Next Generation. She's inspiring people like Mae Jemison, the astronaut, to go to space for real, for real. They used, NASA brought her in as an ambassador. And she helped a lot of women and minorities live their dreams of being in the space program. You talk about impact, man. That's some real impact. And it all comes from being an example and not running away from the example. That, to me, is really cool. Then there's the, it's disputed, the fact that there's the first interracial, I'm using air quotes, the first interracial kiss on television between Kirk and Ohura, William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols. It depends on how you define race, number one. But even if it's only one of the first, that because of the popularity of Star Trek, that's a huge moment. And in reading some of the, the history of that kiss of those two, the folks at Star Trek thought that they were going to be shut down after a white man kissing a black woman on TV. And they were surprised at how they weren't shot down, which is great. Then she goes on to, she goes on, the, because they keep bringing Star Trek back and they want to do that enterprise and tell those stories, She's able to also inspire the actors who go on to play Lieutenant Uhura. Zoe Saldana wrote a beautiful tribute to her on Instagram, talking about how kind she was when they met. And when you can have that type of impact, is cool. 
And now Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Ohura, like super young Ohura, on Strange New Worlds, also wrote a beautiful tribute. So I'm not going to belabor the point. The woman was a force. And I, I love that she was a force for good. I'm really, I'm really happy that, like, now when you go back and look at her work, like, just beautiful, like, till the end. Like, this is a gorgeous woman. Like, flawless skin. Like, every time I see pictures of Nichelle Nichols, I'm like, wow, like, look at that. What was her regiment? Was that just jeans? How your skin looked that good? But I'm, I'm glad that she's been here and she's done the work of inspiring all the people that she is, and it, it looks like a life well-lived. And, yeah, we are lesser because she's not here, but the impact that she had was large. And I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that people recognized that. Like, there was a chorus of people after her death that spoke up and talked about what an incredible human being and not just actor, dancer, singer she was. So that'll do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. We appreciate your support as always. Go support Aurelio's Pizza. Aurelio'sPizza.com It's the sauce. Go get a pizza this week, all right? Get a pizza and watch Star Trek. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.